Our Father in Heaven, show us today how much of the old man still dwells within us, as uncomfortable as it may be, that we may forsake and repent and turn to Christ and respond with Your Spirit and by Your grace to live as instruments of righteousness. We do ask the Spirit would calm down upon us and fill us and to equip us and to make the message quick and living to us that You would change us and make us righteous. Lord, we have such a great need of Your grace today as we see how far we fall short of Your glory. So as we may be pricked in our hearts and as our minds may be challenged, grant, Lord, the grace that we may cling to the cross and know the victory that You have for us there. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Please remember the context in which this passage is written. It is written in the context where he begins saying, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of trials. For these trials have a particular work. God has a very particular design for trials for His people. But for us to benefit and to grow, He has to instruct us now how to respond in those trying times. How we respond to trials reveals a lot about who we truly are. It really reveals the character. When you squeeze an orange, you get what is inside. And so it is with us. Trials squeeze us. They press us so that what really is inside comes out. How we respond reveals a lot about who we are and what is true of us. There are three characteristics that are mentioned in this text that contrast an unregenerate man with those who know Christ and who are Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. Let me just mention those three characteristics. First of all, it tells us, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. First of all, there is a willingness to learn and listen by an unregenerate man that is not true, or by a regenerate Christian that is not true for an unregenerate man. There is a God-given grace of humility in Christians that is not true of unsaved people. Secondly, there is a meekness or a slowness to speech that is true by the grace of God for Christians that is not true for the unregenerate. And third, there is a slowness to anger or Summing this up, there is a trust in the sovereignty and the majesty and the goodness of God for a Christian that is not true of the unregenerate. 
Now, what I'd like to do is unpack those three characteristics and then contrast the unregenerate with the Christian. And by the end, we'll probably see that there is still a lot of that old man that is indwelling in us. But it's good that we hear the Word because what the Spirit does is He takes His Word and He tells us how we ought to live. And He gives us commands to live beyond our fleshy abilities. And then He gives us grace to come into conformity with what He commands. So let me unpack the characteristics here that He here reveals. First of all, He tells us and commands us to be quick to hear. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Be quick in our listening. The ear is the sense through which the heart is trained spiritually. Now, this is quite different from the way that we would often think about it today. The ear is the sense through which the heart is trained spiritually. That's even more true than our eyes. While the visual media has a tremendous amount of power and influence over how we think, the Bible reveals that it is the hearing sense through which we are most spiritually trained. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. So therefore, the Scripture tells us to be quick to hear. And there's a good lesson for us all to learn here. Parents, something I'm constantly reminded of in my own life that I know is true for our children, our children need to be taught to listen. Listening is a discipline. It takes concentration and it takes focus. You don't have to have a lot of concentration and a lot of focus for the visual media. But you have to have concentration and focus for oral reception. And it is important in our spiritual lives because we are told to be still and know that He is God. We are told to be quiet and listen to that still, small voice of God. And if our children do not learn how to be focused and contemplative, oral listeners to us as we read to them or as we speak to them, how will they when God desires to speak? Being quick to hear is a command of God. And this is particularly true in times of trial. When you're going through a difficult time and a difficult circumstance, be quick to hear. Be humble and teachable. The second characteristic says, be slow to speak. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. When we are quick to speak, we are slow to listen. You can say that maybe they're inversely proportional. 
Some may say they're mutually exclusive. But we are all too quick to speak in trying times. See, trying times are that which presses the orange to get the juice out of it. What you press, what is inside will come out. And when we go through trials, we are oftentimes just too quick to judge the matter or to speak. When trials come our way, we really ought to be silent and listen. It's a time of quietness. But now what Psalm 46 says, you know, the Lord is my refuge. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. How does he end the psalm? Be still and know that thou art God. Be quiet and listen. When we go through trials, it really ought to be a time of concentrated prayer, a time of focused Bible reading to hear that still, small voice of God. But too many times we talk, we grumble, we try to find comfort for our egos and for this self. But really, God wants us not to find the comfort as much for the self as He wants us to find Him. That's the lesson from Job. Job wanted a sow put upon all of his wounds for the trials he was going on, and he kept focusing inward. And God, finally, when He addressed Job, says, No, Job, look at Me. That's where you're going to find your comfort. Let me dwell a little bit more on this second characteristic and why he says be slow to speak. Because the mouth is the outlet of the heart. What the mouth speaks is really what is down into the heart. Matthew fifteen eighteen says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They defile a man. Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. At the same time, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This mouth that we have is kind of like the conduit of a deep well. My illustrations draw from my, my real life experience as we're having to dig a well on our property and talk to a man about what, where does the water come from? Well, there's water underneath the ground, sometimes a couple of hundred feet. The water is there, but we cannot get it up. So we drill a well and we place a conduit and we put a pump at the bottom and it pumps the water out into our house. But 
the mouth is like that. It, you've got the heart, which is where the water is, and it's down under the surface and deep down under the surface at the very control of man. It is the, the brains of, or the control center of a man. It's his heart. The mouth is the outlet. It's the conduit. It's the hole, and it, it's the pipe through which what comes out of the heart will come out of the mouth. It will bring it to the surface. Now this is true no matter what kind of temperament you have. I've been around a lot of people that are quiet-tempered, soft-spoken, and I wish I were a lot like them. But you know it's true for soft-spoken, quiet-tempered people as it is for boisterous communicators. What is true in the heart will come out of the mouth whether it be in sarcasm, insinuation, or simply in the expression of a face, the communication will come out. Jesus said there were many that honored Him with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. But ultimately, the heart will be revealed in our words. So when we are quick to speak, we are not good listeners, and therefore we're not good learners from God. The last characteristic says, be slow to wrath. And see, there is a progression here. Anger is often the result of being dull hearers and quick speakers. The Israelites in the wilderness... God's people. He, he led them out of bondage and He's giving them a land that's going to flow with milk and honey. But before He does, He's going to bring them through several trials. There was the waters at Meribah. There was the time without food. And, and there were different trials in the wilderness. And the reaction that the people have, they hardened their hearts. And because their hearts were hardened, they quickly grumbled. They did not hear the promise of God nor His instruction for their water and food. And they became angry and frustrated with God and told Moses, did God bring us out here in the wilderness just to slay us? Would we have just remained back in Egypt? Despising their birthright. Three times Isaiah 6 is quoted in the New Testament, which says, For their hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts that I should heal them. Now, let us contrast an unregenerate man with a Christian with these three characteristics. The natural man or the unregenerate man has an innate characteristic that is revealed in difficult times. Squeeze an unregenerate man and you will see these characteristics coming out in the reverse order. First of all, there is a reaction to anger. And then we have the spirit of man that's revealed in his tongue because he was never a hearer of that still small voice. 
for an unregenerate man, generally speaking, when matters just don't go his way, the first response is normally anger. Yes, it was with great conviction that I write these words because I see how far short I fall of God's desire for my life. Anger is a natural and sinful response of an unregenerate man when things don't go his way. It is a common characteristic of his very fiber. Whether you realize it or not, every man that is not saved, even maybe you, if you are not regenerate, or it was true of you before you were, you are an angry person. It's a common characteristic. Colossians 3 tells us, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, which you yourselves once walked as you lived in them. But you yourselves are to put off all of these. And he's speaking about the old man now. What are we to put off? The first characteristic that we are to put off of the old man is anger, wrath, malice. Galatians 5.19 contrasts the works of the flesh with the, the spiritual fruit. And Rome, Galatians 5.19 says the works of the flesh are evident, which are hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, and dissensions. A man who is not saved by the grace of God is a selfish, self-centered, self-focused man who loves his self-autonomy. And if you shake that or disturb it or you begin to squeeze it, that will come out in anger. An unsaved man loves the world to revolve around him. He loves his schedule to be at the center. He loves his desires and his needs to be met first. This is often disguised, it's often deceptive, but that is true. Because salvation is taking a man and God completely changing the entire heart of being self-focused to being focused on the glory of God. Now because of the self-centeredness in which a man comes into the world, he is at enmity with God. Colossians again tells us, and you, and you, he's pointing the finger at us, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So while he may not know it, an unregenerate man is in constant contention with God. And this contention comes out in anger when the circumstances don't go his way. See, God is in control of all the circumstances. He's in control of our jobs. He's in control of our walk. He's in control of our lives. He's in control of our children. He's in control of when we were born. He's in control of in the context, in the country, in the environment, and all of that where we were born. He's in control of every jot and tittle of our lives. He's in control of every circumstance and every trial He brings or allows or designs. 
because every trial is specifically designed for us. And when a man vents his frustration because things aren't going his way, it ultimately is directed toward God Himself. When Cain slew his brother Abel, it's because he had a sinful disposition and he was in contention with God. He was angry with God because God did not accept his sacrifice and he slew his brother Abel in anger. Now, anger is expressed. It will come out in our speech sooner or later. It will be expressed because an angry man will vent it through what he says. It may come out as biting sarcasm. It may come out as harsh jokes. It may come out as something that is demeaning toward his neighbor. It may come out in all sorts of different ways, disguised, but it will come out through his mouth, through his lips, because it is the vent of the heart. And all of this because he is not a listener. He's not teachable. His pride has made him obstinate. Notice for the unregenerate man now, what God commands of us Christians, he reacts in the opposite way. There is a reaction in anger toward his circumstances. There is a mouth that reveals his frustration. And lastly, his posture is of a stubborn and hard heart. And that is why the Israelites in the wilderness did not enter into God's rest. Well, that I say all that to, to paint the picture of exactly the opposite that the Spirit of God is saying through James to us today, and that is a spiritual man is commanded to act exactly the opposite. A spiritual man is called to be an instrument of God's righteousness. This is what God makes us by His grace. That is why He saved you. He saved you so that you would be an instrument of His righteousness so that you can come before Him, abide in His presence, and bring worship that is acceptable to Him. When we are righteous instruments in the hands of Almighty God, we really are that which God is using to display His righteousness to a watching world. His righteousness to our fellow believers. His righteousness is that which we should behold. So He's called us not to be instruments or in bondage or slaves to sin, but as Romans 6 says, instruments of righteousness. In Matthew 5, He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In that same sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, he goes on in verse 20, he says, But I say unto you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you by no means can enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to, to reveal that. Remember, he goes on to reveal the heart of the law. Not merely the letter, but the heart. 
And he says one of the ways that you need to live as instruments of righteousness is that you need to love your enemies. You need to bless those who curse you. You need to do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He goes on to express, this is different from the world. For the world loves those who love them, but the heavenly Father loves those who even persecute and hate and revile Him. So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Then we come right into the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, hallowed be Thy name. Set it apart. And so one of the ways in which God's name is set apart through our living is that we are instruments of His righteousness and that we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us and we bless those who curse us, etc. That's what God's called us to be. We talk about serving the Lord. We always think about serving the Lord as something we go and do. But God oftentimes says the way you serve me is in the way you live your life and who you are. We are instruments of righteousness. And we are not excused from difficult situations or trials because we are Christians. In fact, we as Christians face exactly the same difficulties, the same earthly trials, the same hard losses, the same great disappointments that the world faces. Yet, the difference is we are equipped with the Spirit of God that produces something completely different. The product that God seeks from us in our trials is righteousness. So that everything for the Christian who is called according to the purpose of God and who loves Him is for good, for our good. And righteousness in our lives produces joy. That's why the psalmist says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my delight day and night. Because God gives His law not as an oppression, but as an extension of His righteousness for the good protection and the blessedness of His people. And that's what... The epistle of James is trying to get at. He says, look, when you're going through trials, be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, but your correct response will. Let God bring forth the righteousness, His righteousness in your life, through that trial. Trials are just forgers of God's righteousness in our hearts. It is really the way God, as one of His means, uses, accompanied with the Word that instructs us, to just root out that old man. And the, the process may be painful, but the fruit is joyous. 
So he tells the Christian, be quick to hear. Be humble and teachable. When you're going through trials, that is the time to listen. God, what is it you want me to learn? And you know, God doesn't bring you just through a certain trial as a punishment for sin. Sometimes we get into a trial and we're like, what brought this on me? What bad decision did I make? Or what sin in my life caused this blight and judgment upon me? That is not how God uses trials in our lives. Oh, He chastens us, yes. And He steers us back on the right course. But in every aspect, there is good. And this is the time that God wants us to learn more about Him. It's not always about us. What we did and what we didn't do, what we failed to do, we fail all day long. And the mercy of God is still new to us every morning when we get up. What God wants us to know is something about Him. Be listeners, be learners, and be humble so that we can be teachable. See, trials bring us into a state of humility, and it's there that God says, I give grace. Trials are just rooting out the old man, puffed up in his pride and self-centric spirit. Pride is that which just takes and begins to remove the layers and layers of self and egocentric autonomy so that we can have God back in the central part of our life. When we pray the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Lord, we pray for Thy kingdom to come. We are praying in that prayer. At least one of the things we're praying is, Lord, bring us more under Your Lordship that You may be more central in my life. Slow our mouths down so that we can hear. Sinclair Ferguson one time in quoting another man or Maybe it was his quote. I remember it well. Because he defined a Christian as a man whose mouth has been stopped. Quoting from Romans chapter 3, where it speaks about the Jews have sinned and the Gentiles have sinned so that there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, that the mouths of all have been stopped. Because as we go before God Almighty, we should be silent for a long time before we can begin to begin to speak. Yet we are so quick to speak. It's that self thing. 
You can't develop a good listening to your fellow brother if you cannot be a good listener to God. Likewise, you can't take correction from a brother if you're not going to be a good learner with a teachable spirit from God. Be quick to hear. It is an issue of the heart. It is the sense which most trains the heart is the oral sense. Faith cometh by hearing. But we are commanded to be slow to speak. Be slow to judge a matter because when we are quick, the mouth often follows. A spiritually mature man will have a quiet and meek spirit about him. And too often we first want to be heard or we want to be understood before we even stop to understand the other. A man that is quick to judge or he's quick with his opinion is a man that has pride in him. We need to slow down our speaking. For every idle word will come back at the day of judgment. Ecclesiastes, I believe chapter 5, tells us, let your words be few. Slowness of speech is an issue of the heart. What comes in through our ears shapes the heart so that what comes out ought to be speech seasoned with salt to minister grace to the hearers. And then lastly, it tells us to be slow to anger. See, this is really the issue of trusting God. An unregenerate man does not trust God, so he first reacts. He doesn't even respond. He just reacts in frustration and anger when things don't go his way or when things begin to encroach upon his ego or his self-centered little life of autonomy, when things are not in his control, it frustrates him and he reacts in anger. And so oftentimes when our eyes are off and we do not trust God, the provident, sovereign, majestic creator and governor of our lives, that's how we react too. But that should be last. We should be slow in this anger. It's an issue of trusting God. If you're angry with your personal circumstances, and here the context is really about trials that you're going through, then really we're not trusting God like we should. Anger is true for every unregenerate man, and we've got a lot of it pent up in us. The more you trust God, the less angry you will become the more that old man is soft. Now, I've heard it said one time that a man's sanctification is just softening him, making him more gentle. And if you compare the works of the flesh with the works of the Spirit, you see that. The works of the flesh are just that harsh old man. The works of the Spirit, God's central, reveal the true characteristics of God, righteousness, that comes out in a long-suffering and a mercy toward our neighbor. Love, joy, and peace. The greater, the greater, weightier matters of the law, Jesus says, was mercy. Go and learn what this means. Have mercy. 
Because we ourselves are completely dependent upon God's mercy. Folks, something that helps us is realizing we do not deserve anything from God except eternal judgment and condemnation and His wrath being poured out upon us. That is what we deserve. Anything less than that is mercy. And to take you from just not giving you that, but clothing you with the righteous garment of Jesus Christ and making you sit in heavenly places in Him, making you princes and making you reign with Christ in His scepter of righteousness, to make you an instrument of righteousness is beyond anything we ever or ever will deserve. If we have but a morsel of bread to eat today, it is by the goodness and mercy and grace of Almighty God. And let us with all the heart be thankful for what we have. The unregenerate man, while he knew God, did not recognize Him as God, neither was he thankful. And so folks, God has commanded us something here that is beyond our ability He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and God seeks to produce righteousness in us through these trials. That is their design. And he tells us back in Hebrews chapter 12, the trials are not joyous for the pleasant for the present time, but they will bring forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness from which our joy will spring. Folks, God expects us by His grace to respond a way that He can be seen in our responses and in our lives. Let us look to Him for the grace to live the way He desires for us to live. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, You have commanded that which we cannot perform in our strength, but grant the grace to perform that which Thou commandest. And grant that we might be listeners of God, that we might spend our time in prayer and in the Scripture, that we might listen to the still, small voice But to do that, Lord, grant Your grace that we would be humble and teachable with what message You would have for us to hear. Grant us, Lord, to to be slow in our speech, in our judgments. And grant, Lord, that we would be gentle, trusting, meek people that would not react in anger but we would respond in faith, trusting Your providence and Your goodness. Lord, we have great need as a church and great need as a people to grow in these areas. So we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and His saving grace 
for we can do all things in Christ, which strengthens us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen so short so many times. Cleanse us from our sins and pick us up that we might, with greater joy, live life that you have bought for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.